He didn't know what he was doing. A storm was coming. And hoping to escape it was a beggar woman who knocked on the home of a wealthy prince looking for shelter. She had no money, but she offered a rose in exchange for a night's rest and refuge. The prince declined to help her, though. He may have been a tad condescending. He may have been a tad quick to judge. He may have even been a little bit disgusted at her less-than-beauty looks. But his father, the king, taught him to help those who help themselves. And so he dismissed her to go help herself. But he didn't know what he was doing. You see, he didn't know that the beggar woman was actually a beautiful enchantress who was testing him. You see, she was curious to see if the prince would share out of his abundance with somebody who was in need. Or dismiss her and leave her to fend for herself against the dangerous elements. But then, ta-da, she reveals herself for who she is and she makes him painfully aware of who he is. And she turns the prince outwardly into what he was inwardly, a beast. And so not only does the prince become cursed, but the curse falls also on the entire castle. And he's warned that unless he learns to love another and in turn earns their love back by his 21st birthday, this temporary condition would become a permanent condition forever. Now, we talked about a lot of this last week. And while this may be a great story, Disney wasn't the first to tell it. You know, as we saw last week, they borrowed actually parts of God's story to tell it and to tell it well. Only, Disney's story is make-believe. God's story makes a difference. God's story is true, and it's our story as well, because there's a little beast in all of us, isn't there? Now, Scripture tells us that it hasn't always been so. There was a time when humanity's face was beautiful and the palace was pleasant, but that was before the curse came. That was before the darkness slithered its way into the garden and was invited into the hearts of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. And when they welcomed that darkness, when they welcomed the lie, the curse fell and man and woman hid, just like the beast did. And we've learned over the years, ever since the curse, we haven't been different. Not at least from those who said yes to the lie. And our saying yes to the lie made us beastly and made us ugly to be around and made us angry and made us defiant. We do things we shouldn't. And we wonder why in the world we do them. And we saw from Scripture last week that there's a little beast in all of us. Paul said this, I do not do what I want to do, no. I do the things that I hate. And I'm sorry for Paul, but, but I'm glad for me because that's me. And I think that's you too. Paul, the great apostle, confesses that the influence of the beast was still very real in his life when the presence of the Spirit was so obvious in his life. So yes, there's a little beast in all of us. And that beast is often behind many of the choices that we make. We've spoken beastly things about a co-worker in the company of others that we never would have spoken in their company. 
We have allowed beastly jealousies to destroy our marriages. We've allowed beastly greed to pursue money and better stuff over deeper and lasting relationships with our family. We've allowed beastly lust to convince us an extramarital moment of pleasure is more meaningful than a faithful marital promise. We've spoken beastly lies to deceive those who trusted us to gain what we wanted over what we needed. But God, the author of the greatest story ever, sent a supernatural beauty to this place we called home. And his name is Jesus. And as we have sung all morning long, what a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. And to think that he came knowing that our beastliness would not just reject his love, not just reject his truth, but we would punish him for, for saying that we needed Reformation. The beast in us doesn't want reformation. We don't want transformation. We want treasures and we want triumphs and we want trophies. We want help with making our own version of our story come true. We're not so interested in God's story and how he wants us to make it come true. But Jesus came anyway. Heaven's beauty came anyway because that's what love does. Now you may not know this, but some historical writers by the name of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John wanted to give us a written account of what those years were like when God himself walked among us. For three and a half years they watched him endure beastly suspicion from us. With almost every act of kindness he offered to us. He endured our beastly hypocrisy and our beastly jealousy with his efforts to teach how a human life ought to be lived. And even his successful efforts to deliver the most beastly among us, those possessed by the darkness. Out of their minds by the darkness. When he delivered them, it so frightened us we said, we don't want that kind around here. That, that, that's just, that's too much. Sad, but it's true because when Jesus showed us that his deeds were supernatural, it wasn't enough to convince our super egos that we needed him. Not when it threatened our beastly desire for power and privilege. And so we called him a devil. And we did our best to destroy him any way we could. And this may surprise you. But the we that I'm talking about were not the riffraff. They're not the criminals. Supposedly they were the brightest minds on the planet. The Roman government who actually carried out the crucifixion was part of the most advanced civilization, listen to me, in the world. The Jewish leaders and the teachers of the law who demanded the crucifixion were among the most knowledgeable people in the world supposedly about God. And they missed him in their midst. And yet these are the folks who condemned him and used their political leverage to put an end to him. 
And they did so not because their strength was stronger, but because his love, listen to me, was greater. In John chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus, days before it actually happened, said, guys, I I want you to know something. I'm I'm, going to lay my life down. And I'm going to take it up again. But I want you to know this before it takes place. Nobody is going to take this from me. I'm laying it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I'm telling you the truth. I have the authority to take it up again. And the only reason why we are in this room today, it stuns me. The only reason we're in this room today is because he did have the authority. He really did. Because he went on to be crucified. He did lay his time, and he went on to be resurrected just like he promised. And offering us the life that all of that entails. And so we're here saying, tell us more about that. Tell us how we can get that not only into our hearts deeper, but how we can get it down to this community faster. That's why we're here. In the Disney version of the story, Beauty and the Beast, the curse is reversed. Because the beast got beauty to fall in love with him. Had him proclaim over him her love. But in God's version, there's this parting of the ways with that story because the beauty becomes the beast so that we can become the beauty. The scripture we often talk about because it just stuns us is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made the one who had no sin to become our sin so that we might have the shot at becoming the righteousness of God. And the place where that was made possible was at a place we know as the cross. Now, you know, two weeks before Easter, I can probably guess you're anticipating some lessons about the cross. It's no surprise that that's on the agenda for the teaching from this pulpit. But it may surprise you what this amazing man said while he hung there. Especially those of you who are a little new to studying the Bible. You see, some eyewitnesses speak of seven statements that Jesus made while he was being executed on a piece of execution equipment called a cross. Seven statements that I'm going to call crosswords for the next couple of weeks. Seven short statements that I want us to hear again. And maybe for some of you hearing for the very first time. Because they hold significance not because of who said them. That's important. But listen to me, when he said them. (laughs) When you say something, when you say it matters. It's one thing to stand in your driveway and make three free throws in a row. It's another when you're down by two with less than one second on the clock. And you're standing at the free throw line needing to make all three free throws to make it to the national championship of college basketball. And Kyle Guy did exactly that last night. When you're called to make those free throws matters. It's one thing to say, I'll do anything for you. But when that anything entails giving up your vacation money that you saved up for two years so that a single mom can can have her car fixed and get to work. When you say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. When you say, 
I'll do anything at all matters. It's one thing to say I love you to death. Until you're hanging on a cross dying and loving you means becoming something hated and something mocked and something publicly humiliated so that those doing the mocking and the hating and the humiliating can be forgiven. (laughs) It just stuns me that Jesus did that. When you say something and when you do something matters. And so I want you to hear this morning some words that come from a man who is experiencing the most painful, humiliating, awful mess. And he says these words. Here's Luke 23 and verse 33. Two other men, they were both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with all the other criminals. One on his right and the other was on his left. Here's the first statement. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Say those words with me, church. Here we go. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. One more time. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That won't be the last time that you say it. And it won't take my prodding to say it. Wow. What an amazing request and what an amazing observation. Let's talk about the request first. Father, forgive them. (laughs) What a strange request made by someone who's being condemned to die. Father, forgive them. Shouldn't he be asking for forgiveness? Besides, who's the them anyway, right? Did he mean the Roman government? Did he mean the hot-headed Jews? Did he mean the disciples who run for their lives? Did he mean the soldiers who had just driven nails into his hands and in his feet? Was he addressing Caiaphas? Was he addressing Pilate, Judas, the thieves beside him, humanity in general? We don't know because he didn't have breath enough to say it. You see, to say one thing from a cross, you had to pull yourself up and by your nails that were in your arms or wrists or these, this part of your body that you look at different pictures, you see different things. But you had to pull yourself up by those nails and push with the ones in your feet. Because the deadliness of crucifixion was not the blood that was coming out of any part of the body. It was the, the suffocation that was happening to the lungs. Because when that was happening, they couldn't breathe. They had to pull up to just breathe, let alone say anything. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing came with a lot of pain. We know it was for us. We know that then was us because we're on the other side of both the cross and the empty tomb. He was praying for all of us who don't know what we're doing. And that's a pretty amazing observation and such a graceful observation of a man who's being executed for crimes he didn't commit. Man, I've said this a lot this week to myself. Glad I have a chance to get to say it to you. We don't know what we're doing, do we? We don't fully know. We don't fully grasp. We don't fully understand the consequences of our sinful actions. Monica didn't. She was familiar with how babies were made, but this moment wasn't about babies. This was about being wanted. 
This is about not spending another night alone. This is about maybe a potential husband. And so she conceded. But being wanted lasted only a night, and so did the potential husband. But the child she conceived and gave birth to is here forever. We don't know what we're doing. Christopher was just (laughs) going to let a self-absorbed driver know, you can't cut it on people like that. And he was racing to get even with him so he could display his obscene gesture to get his attention. He didn't realize that in a moment a car in front of him was going to slam on his brakes to dodge, of all things, a couch on I-35. How could he have foreseen that his dually pickup would be totaled and the driver of the other vehicle and their two-year-old would be killed? We don't know what we're doing. How could you have known the collateral damage of your divorce would be a daughter who would struggle the rest of her life with intimacy and trust issues with men? You couldn't. Ah, kids are resilient. No, they're not. No, they're not. We don't know what we're doing. Esmeralda Garza of Corpus Christi said yes to one shot of crack cocaine six months ago with friends. And just this last week she paid or was paid $2,500 for her son so she could pay off a drug debt. We don't know what we're doing. Sin takes us further than we want to go, it keeps us longer than we want to stay, and it costs us so much more than we ever want to pay because we don't know what we're doing. Well, at the cross, Jesus makes it clear that even when we think we know what the damage of our sin has caused, it is so much more. And in his response, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's trying to say, you don't need to know what you're doing. That's helpful before the sin, but but after, what you need to know is where you get help with what you've just done. Where there's forgiveness, where there's healing, where there's another start, another beginning. But to pay a price that he didn't deserve for that on a cross? Who does that? And the answer from scripture is God does that. Love does that. Not that we loved God, as Grant read a few moments ago, but he loved us enough to send his son to die for us because we didn't know what we were doing. What a wonderful name this beauty's name is. What a powerful name this beauty's name is. And the one who bore that name only had to speak one word. And all of a sudden, boom, He's flat-footed on the ground, and everyone around them, they're hanging from crosses. But justice wasn't on his lips. Mercy was. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. One word. He's on the ground. They're on crosses. End of story. But that's not the story. Because love wouldn't do that. Father, let the violence be stopped here with me. He didn't want anybody punished for his death. They didn't know what they were doing. Besides, he knew who was really on trial here. And he wanted your case dismissed. And to all who welcomed his payment for sin, God says, forgiven. 
Now, don't take my word for it. Listen to these three different scriptures from his. In Colossians 1 and verse 20, the Bible says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in this man, Jesus. And through him he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Hebrews 9 and verse 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? One more. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, Jesus We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he not just reluctantly gave, but lavished on you. (laughs) You want in on a grace like that. And if you've received a grace like that, can can I make two suggestions about what you do with that? First of all, be patient with those who sin differently from you. Would you? If you've received a grace like that, would you please be a little bit more patient with those who sin differently from you? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, Paul says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Please forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. If Jesus Christ has forgiven you of the beastly things that you're responsible for, when someone is sinning against you or around you, would you be a little bit more patient with them as God's working on them? Number two, be willing to share your beastly struggles when you're given the opportunity. Now, I'm I'm sorry Chad's picture got put on the Facebook. And I I have to smile when I I remember seeing him up here in this black... um, uh, he looked like a chimney stack, you know, with that white on top, smoke coming out. That's just for me anyways. But you know what would have been worse is if, I, if we'd have asked Chad or not, we demanded of Chad, hey, we're going to put your most beastly top three things you've ever done on Facebook. We're not asking you to do that. What we are asking is that, that maybe when you hear through the grapevine, maybe when you hear through someone's prayer, maybe when you hear just as someone's talking about their own struggle from their own lips, and they don't have a clue that you've struggled with just the same, would you, be, would you be preparing yourself to be able to share that when the opportunity arises? So that maybe, just maybe, them hearing how Jesus met you in your struggle and your beastliness might help them in their struggle and their beastliness and help them have life again. A couple of weeks back, we were talking about search and rescuing people. And um, I got some emails from some of you, because I asked, you know, if you'd like to have me look at um, your little three-minute preparation for the opportunities that the Spirit gives us to share our story. If you'd like to have me look at that, I'd be glad to. Well, several of you sent them to me. But also, several of you sent them to me saying, You know, Jim, I don't really have one of those big turning moments in my life. I've pretty much known Jesus all my life. Yeah, but you probably haven't followed Jesus all of your life. I bet you've had a couple of beastly moments that you're not wanting anybody, not just have on Facebook, but here at all. Could you prepare 
a little three-minute story based around that moment in your life when you should have been following Christ, but you chose a different path, and you acted a little beastly or maybe a lot of beastly, and it cost you greatly. So that when God brings within earshot, and he will do that if you're willing, if you're praying about that, well, even if you're not, we've got several people on our email team who are praying that God sets you up with an opportunity. Will you be ready with that beastliness you've experienced and that beastliness that God delivered you from so that you might be able to share with someone else the benefit that comes from your wounds being turned into a scar? That just like doubting Thomas, someone who doubts that God exists and that, that his stuff really matters can look at your scars and touch that, that place where you were beastly once in your life and see how he's healed it and maybe have some hope that he would do the same for them. Be a little easier on those who sin differently from you. Be quick to share your beastly struggles with others. Because God can take any tragedy, no matter how beastly, and turn it into triumph. Raphael's trying to. He's a minister in El Salvador in the 1970s. The Salvadorian guerrillas considered him an enemy of their movement and tried to kill him. And they left him to die in a burning automobile. He got out. But he couldn't escape the memories. The scars wouldn't let him. Every glance in the mirror reminded him of his tormentor's cruelty. He might have never recovered had the Lord not spoken to his heart in a very gentle way. They did the same to me. He heard Jesus whisper that one morning while he was putting his shoes on and God whispered, would you let other people see your scars? Raphael began to see his scars differently and rather than serve as a reminder of his own pain, they became a picture of his Savior's sacrifice. And in time he was able to forgive his attackers. In time he was able to forgive his attackers. And today he is a church planter in the country of El Salvador, the same region where the burning took place. You just saw it on the screen. Me too. Me too. I've got some scars in my life from some beastly things that I've been responsible for. Some you'll never hear about. Not in public. In private, I hope. If it'll help you make it through where you are in your beastliness, maybe, to the other side where there's life and hope and the chance that you might do the same with someone else, I, I pray to God that he will give me the courage to be able to share it no matter what. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those words have come off of my lips, not just because they're scriptural, but because they're true. And that's why I said there's a good chance that as we said those words together, you might be saying them on your own soon. Because it's one of the ways that I cope with the stuff that I get hit with. I get hit with enough stuff that I deserve, but the stuff that I don't, that's my phrase. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I didn't come up with that by myself. I came up with that from my Savior. I know. It's a tale as old as time. It's a tune as old as song. And it really can be bittersweet and strange. Finding you can change. 
learning that you were wrong. But that's a little easier when the one who got it right helps you. When heaven's beauty helps you. And he wants to do that for you today. You've been living in a place that you really can't call life. He wants to offer you some today. He's already paid the price for the sins that maybe you committed that got you there, but he wants to offer you life today. And we're going to be up here at the front of a couple of elders and myself. And if you're ready to let that beauty into your life, we're ready to help you. And if you're here this morning, and you're my brother or sister, you're my brother or sister in Christ, you received that grace at one time. You received his spirit to help you overcome the beastliness in your life. But you've been, you've been a little beastly lately. And you didn't come up all ago and take advantage of it when the elders were talking about it because God had some dealing with you to do first. And you've heard him. Find your way to a, a brother here who's had their share of beastly moments and had, had to have his share of grace on all of them. We'll be glad to help you get out of yours and into life. Father in heaven, we come to you this moment and we ask for your spirit to begin doing what, I, what no human being can do, stir and move among us. And if today someone is on the verge of letting go of being the king of their lives and is ready to make you king of their lives, tired of the mistakes they've made trying to call their own shots that are willing to let you be the Lord of their lives, washing away every sin in their life, giving them a spirit to, to give them life, would you nudge them down the aisle here to put on Christ today? And if you've got some brothers and sisters here, some children of yours that desperately need some arms wrapped around them and then prayed over for strength, for new focus, please help them to do that. Help them to cry out, not just sing out, but cry out, Lord, I need you.